Imagine if you lived without any message from God. No Bible, no preaching, only silence from above. Sadly, that's how many choose to live today. Since the close of the Old Testament, God's people had waited 400 years to hear from Him, waiting for His promises to be fulfilled. During these silent years, some of God's people held on to hope. Others were stuck in ritual and routine, and still others were not thinking about God and His promises at all. Immorality was rampant, sin was celebrated, and spiritual life among God's people had lost its vitality. Sounds like America today, doesn't it? Many of the central characters in the Christmas story responded to their part in God's plan with expressions of protracted praise and jubilant worship. Their original lyrics are recorded in Luke's Gospel, but find their roots in the book of Isaiah. Welcome to On Mission, the preaching ministry of Edgewood Baptist Church in Rock Island. When we gather together, we meet on 38th Street. And when we're scattered, we strive to live on mission all over the Quad Cities area. We're continuing in our Christmas series called The Promise. Our topic today is Joy Shared from the Life of Zechariah. Here's our main idea. God gives joy to those who believe in Jesus. During the month of December, we've been in a series that we're calling The Promise. We've been using four words to summarize Christmas. Promises made and promises kept. And we've been moved to worship as we've considered how prophetic promises from the book of Isaiah, written 700 years before Jesus was born, those promises have been fulfilled with pinpoint precision, and we've been observing those through the characters of the Christmas narrative. Our topic today is joy shared And we're going to look at that from the life of Zechariah. Here's our main idea. God gives joy to those who believe in Jesus. But in order to set up this song from Zechariah, I'm going to invite you to turn in your copy of the scriptures to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 34. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one as our gift to you. Uh, We'll also have the text up on the screen. And before I start reading, you'll sense the tone is not a very happy tone in this passage. Now listen now as I read beginning in verse 2. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations, and he's furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction. He's giving them over for slaughter. You see, because God is a just God, he judges sin. According to verse 8, there's a day of judgment coming, for the Lord has a day of vengeance. Verse 10 adds, for those who don't believe, judgment will be everlasting. Night and day, it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. Chapter 34 of Isaiah pictures everlasting judgment, and I can't wait for you to hear chapter 35. Because in Isaiah 35, God promises everlasting joy for those who've been restored and ransomed and returned to him. 
You see, prophecy in the Old Testament often dealt with a near future event. In this particular chapter, Isaiah is saying God's people are going to come back from exile. God's going to restore them. But he also, in his prophecies, is talking about future fulfillment, as we'll see in the first coming of Jesus. And some of these prophecies have to do with his second coming. Now, in contrast to all that judgment, Listen to this good news filled with great joy from the very next chapter. Listen now to Isaiah chapter 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Those words gladness, rejoicing, and joy can be translated as this intensively Great rejoicing with a jubilant celebration. Oh, did you notice singing will replace sighing? Gladness will come in the place of sadness. It's interesting how Isaiah, which is a book filled with sorrow and judgment, also has many verses describing singing and joy. I've selected just three. Isaiah 12, verse 6, shout, And sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 24, 14, they lift up their voices. They sing for what? Joy. And what are they singing about? Over the majesty of the Lord, they shout from the west. Isaiah 51, 11, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Now, let's hold on to that, hold that thought, and let's fast forward 700 years. Imagine if you lived without any message from God. No Bible, no preaching, just silence from above. Sadly, that's how many choose to live today. But since the time of Malachi, that's the last book in the Old Testament, until this setting, there had been no voice from God. 400 years of silence, 400 years of God's people waiting for his promises to be fulfilled. And during these silent years, some of God's people held on to hope. Others were stuck in ritual and routine. They're just going through the motions. Others are like, I'm done with it. They turned their backs on God, and immorality became rampant. Sin was celebrated, and spiritual life among God's people had lost its vitality. Kind of sounds like America today, doesn't it? If you'd like to follow along, I'm going to retell the narrative as recorded in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 20. A priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth lived during this time of sorrow and sighing. 
If we could color their lives, they would be gray and gloomy and the sky would be cloudy. They had another silence in their life because they were beyond childbearing age and they had no children. See, at that time, infertility was considered a curse. Zechariah was a priest. Elizabeth was a PK, a priest's kid. They tried to live a blameless life, but they'd not received the blessing of a baby. Jewish brides were taught to have a large family in the hopes that the next son born might be the Messiah. Their unmet desires had led to unspoken despair and a sense of deficiency. Well, in a state of humiliation, hopelessness, and helplessness, Zechariah is about to hear some words he could hardly believe. See, he served as a priest. There were some 20,000 priests back then. And two weeks of the year when his division was on duty, he would travel to Jerusalem for his temple responsibilities. This time, he was chosen by lot to go into the temple, into the holy place, and burn incense right outside the curtain of the holy of holies. This is quite an honor for him. You see, the holy of holies is where God's Shekinah glory was made manifest. This was a once in a lifetime opportunity, a huge privilege. Jewish tradition taught that the priest who did this would be rich and holy for the rest of his life. So Zechariah arranged the incense. He offered prayers of intercession for the people. And as the smoke from the incense shielded his eyes, he thought he saw someone in there with him. And suddenly, he's face to face with an angel. And fear fell upon him. I wonder if he was thinking about what happened to Nadab and Abihu when they carried out this ritual in a wrong way and they were vaporized by God. You can read about that in Leviticus 10. The dangers of his duty were well known to everyone. He is in a holy place, the holy place. The idea was get in, offer incense, pray for the people, and get out as quickly as possible. But then, on the right side of the altar, which was considered the side of favor, the angel Gabriel appeared. And his initial initial message had two parts. First, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Second, your prayer has been heard. They were going to have a son. Isaiah, or verse 14, links us back to the promise of joy from Isaiah 35. Listen, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Verse 15 explains what kind of man he would turn out to be. Verses 16 and 17 describe the message he would preach as the long foretold forerunner to the Messiah. One of his tasks was to bring people back to the Lord and to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and to turn the hearts of children to their fathers. That's a reference to some of the last verses in the book of Malachi. That's a good word for us, isn't it? We need a revival among dads that God would turn our hearts to our children and God would turn the hearts of our children to their dads. Well, when Gabriel told him he was going to be a father in Luke 1.18, Zechariah immediately asked for some sort of sign. He says, how shall I know this? 
for I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. That's a nice way of saying Elizabeth was old. (laughs) Zechariah is really saying, I can't believe it. I am an old man. That's a very emphatic statement. In verse 19, Gabriel responded by using that same emphatic expression, I am Gabriel. (laughs) I stand in the presence of God. Now, Gabriel's no ordinary angel. He's like God's top gun angel. He's the archangel. He appeared to Daniel in chapter 8 and chapter 9 and later would appear to Mary. It's as if Gabriel was saying, you might be an old geezer, but I'm Gabriel. (laughs) And I stand in the very presence of God. Don't you think God can handle this? Well, on one hand, Zechariah's question seems valid. He and his wife really were very well past normal childbearing ages. On the other hand, he should have known better. Well, he was too busy asking questions and focusing on problems to really hear Gabriel, and now he would have nine months to listen. We see this in verse 20, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. It's interesting. Zechariah had asked for a sign, and now for nine months, he had to use sign language to communicate. Someone has wondered what the greater miracle is here, Elizabeth having a baby in her old age or a preacher keeping quiet for nine months. The people now wonder what happened to him because he can't talk. And according to verse 62, it's likely he couldn't hear either. He's going to be a new father and he can't tell anyone. Well, nine months later, their baby was born and the whole town was filled with joy. I'm in verse 58. And the neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they, here's the word, rejoiced with her. Another version says they shared her joy. They celebrated while Zechariah is still silent. Until eight days later, the whole town comes out for the circumcision ceremony. That's where their son would enter the covenant community and be given his name. And everyone assumed his name would be Zech Jr. or Zeke. Or maybe Zach. Instead, Elizabeth insisted he would be called John. Now, that's very shocking because the firstborn son was almost always named after the father or a relative. So Zechariah asked for an iPad. I mean, it does say a tablet, okay? (laughs) And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. In the original, it's even stronger. This is what he said. John is his name. I love what happens next. The song in his heart that had been silent for nine months explodes with this pent-up praise. And the first words he says are not directed to his wife or to his family. He doesn't talk about sports. He doesn't talk about the weather. He doesn't even talk about what he saw in the holy place. 
His immediate response is this exuberant, like eruption of adoration. This is a fulfillment of Isaiah 35, verse 6. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The one who was formerly mute is now making music. And Zechariah had been unable to speak, and now he can't stop singing. The neighbors are filled with awe, and all the shoppers started smiling at this one-man caroler. By the way, this is a perfect example of how God's discipline does not disqualify us. This time of silence for Zechariah was really an act of mercy, not judgment. So filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah breaks out into this praise. It's filled with prophecy. I think of the song, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come and leap, ye lame, for joy. Zechariah couldn't help but sing as he realized the miraculous birth of his son would be part of preparing people for the coming of Messiah. And one thing we learn from the Gospel of Luke, which has more references to singing and praising than the rest of the New Testament combined, is how we too must sing because of the good news of great joy. God gives joy to those who believe in Jesus. Listen now to the lyrics of this song. I'm going to start in verse 68 and then drop down to verse 78. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Do you see the word visit used twice? The root means to visit personally. It was used by Jesus when he said, I was sick and you visited me. God saw us in our sin-sick state, and he didn't just leave us there. No, he made a visit. He sent his son to come and visit. He saw us in our bad situation, and then he personally intervened and provided a solution. Now, I should move on, but I can't, because I see another connection to Christmas. The word visit can be translated as to tent upon, to tabernacle. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came and set up his tent, if you will, here. That's what happened at Christmas. Jesus personally visited us and dwelt with us in order to save us from our sins. At the incarnation, he became Emmanuel to be God with us to save us from our sins. So as Zechariah looked down at his baby boy, he knew that help was on the way. Somehow, his son would prepare the way for the one who is the way. The long wait was now over. That song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, sums it up well. 
This song that he sings is all about God coming to earth. Never, nearly every phrase in Zechariah's Christmas chorus is filled with biblical references, especially from the prophets. Here are five specific facts about the divine visitation. Number one, Christ's coming provides salvation. Zechariah mentions God's saving in four different ways. Redemption, he's visited and redeemed his people. Salvation, a horn of salvation. Rescue, that we should be saved from our enemies. To rescue us and forgiveness. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Secondly, as he sings, he's singing how Christ came to fulfill prophecy. Notice these three stanzas. Promised by the prophets, cherished by the fathers, and he goes all the way back to Abraham, guaranteed to Abraham. Number three, Christ's coming gives us purpose. He talks about serving, that we might serve him without fear, and sanctification, that we would grow in holiness and righteousness before him. God gives us grace so we can live for his glory. God blesses us so we can bless others. We've been saved to serve. Number four, Christ's coming will be prepared by John. So Zechariah continues to sing. He sings joyfully and he utters three predictions about his son. He'll be a prophet of God. He'll prepare the way of the Lord. The other thing, the third thing that John the Baptist will do is he'll preach forgiveness. This is exactly what John did. His whole mission was to make the nation ready for the coming of Messiah. He was a prophet. He was a preparer, and he was a preacher of salvation. I find it fascinating. There's only two verses in this song, this entire song about Zechariah's own son, John. The rest of the chorus is all about the Savior because this dad recognized the subordinate position of his own son. Parents, this is a very good challenge for us. You see, Zechariah was good with John not being number one. We need to train our kids to be servants, not to think that they're the best or the brightest, that they're a prince or a princess who's entitled to everything. No, that's not how we need to raise and train our children. We don't want them to grow up thinking life is only about fulfilling their own needs. We need to teach and model that they are created in the image of God and they are to live for the glory of God alone and put Christ first, deflecting attention from themselves to the Savior. And so one of the purposes of our parenting and our grandparenting is to help our kids see their role in preparing others to come to Christ. We would do well to mimic John's life mission, John 3.30. He, referring to Jesus, must increase, but I must, what? Decrease. John was focused on being second. Actually, he focused on being last, and Jesus first. He prepared people for Jesus' first coming. 
As we decrease, we can point people to the deliverance Jesus offers so they're ready for his second coming. Perhaps this acrostic is one you've heard before, so I'll just stir you up by way of reminder. Joy, Jesus, others, you. It's a good order to keep in mind. Number five, Christ's coming brings a blessing. So he's got one final burst of praise. He speaks of three great benefits. Light to those who are in darkness. Pardon, pardon to those condemned to death. And guidance to those who've lost their way. God gives joy to those who believe in Jesus. As Zechariah looked down at his baby boy, he knew help was on the way. Somehow, his son would prepare the way for the one who is the way. The long wait was now over. Thanks for joining us for On Mission. If you'd like to listen to this message again, you can now download episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts by going to edgewoodbaptist.net. We'd love to have you as a guest at one of our three weekend services, Saturday at 5 or Sunday at 9 or 1045. My name is Matt Williams, and I'm a member of Edgewood. Ethan Curry, also an Edgewood member, is serving as the producer of this program. We look forward to connecting with you again next weekend as we learn more about how to live on mission. Until then, go deep in God's Word and keep applying it to your world. On Mission is furnished by Edgewood Baptist in Rock Island, Illinois.